So today we're reading from the book of John, chapter 5, verses 31 to 47. So if you look at page 1069 in the Church Bibles. So that's John, chapter 5, verses 31 to 47. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favour, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You've never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? If you'd like to uh, keep your Bibles open, at that passage and also on the back of our blue sheets there's like a, an order of what I'm going to be saying so we, we kind of know where we're going looking back over the, the last week this last week um, we've just had a general election some of you might be reeling over the result some of you might be rejoicing over the result looking forward it's Christmas day and I think Stephen reminds us nine sleeps time ten days time the candles there remind us there's only one, I think, left to go before Christmas. And there's so much to do and so little time to do it in. The children are really excited, the children and Stephen. And the grown-ups are thinking, what are we going to do? Ten days to do it all in. There's so much to do. And you may be thinking, having just heard that passage from the Scriptures, quite a difficult and complicated passage, what relevance has that got to me here in Bishop Hannington this morning. What what can God say to us through that? Well, having studied it, with God's help, I trust that these words will be of immense benefit and and relevance to us all here this morning. For they, they breathe confidence, they breathe hope, they breathe challenge, and they breathe truth. This is the word of God. And, and, and we'll be lifted this morning by God's Spirit to see things far greater than the Christmas celebrations, far greater than the election result. We, we'll be able to see with a greater clarity that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And as John will say later on, having seen that, we believe in him. 
and by believing we have life, eternal life in his name. I've got one of these kind of like old-fashioned red-letter Bibles so that all the words spoken by Jesus are in red. I didn't mean to get it. I just sent off for a new Bible and, and kept, with, with big, bigger words so that I can read them because I'm getting a bit old nowadays. But it's a red-letter Bible, so all the words in Jesus are in red. And every single word that I'm speaking about today, every single word that was just read, are words from the mouth of the Lord Jesus. Not really that that makes a great deal of difference because all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for us. It's God's word. But there's a poignancy about these words came from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. When John sat down, inspired by the Spirit, to write his gospel, the Holy Spirit reminded him of these words that Jesus spoke. So as we approach and, and, and listen to what Jesus is saying to this group of leaders, Let's just pray that God would speak to us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you that John was inspired of the Spirit to record these words. Jesus spoke these very words. And we pray that you would speak to us afresh this morning. You alone know where we're at. You know what's going on in the very depths of our hearts as a church and as individual believers. And we pray that you would speak to us this morning by your Spirit. May we sense that, that very real speaking into our hearts by the Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. So let's, let's just get to the setting, because this, this, this speech of Jesus that we're looking at it has a setting. It has a historical setting. And, and where we're picking up at verse 31, it's in the middle of the speech. Tim spoke about, started it last week, but we're in the middle of a speech. Jesus is in the midst of a conversation, a kind of debate with some Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. He'd recently, at the beginning of chapter 5, he'd recently healed a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. This guy had been unable to walk for 38 years and Jesus had simply said to him, take up your mat and walk. And instantly he did. There was this there would have been a great shock of awe amongst the people. There is this man, 38 years on the ground, and now he walks and he's praising and thanking God. But Jesus did it on the Sabbath. And the petty rules made by these Jewish leaders of the time made it a crime to carry your mat on the Sabbath day. And they, they accused Jesus and this man of breaking the Sabbath laws. Look at verse 16, and you'll see it there. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. So the leaders had come to Jesus and they challenged him and they accused him. And then in this passage, Jesus is defending himself. They're saying, you do these things, you say these things, you're breaking God's law, you're blaspheming God. And in this passage, what Jesus is saying, no, I'm not, not at all. And so that's what we've got to get hold of. And then he begins to reveal himself to them as to who he really is. And the commentators say that in this passage, Jesus himself is, is revealing his divinity in such a convincing way, if only we can see it. So Jesus is defending himself. In verse 17, he says, In his defence, Jesus said to them. And then in verse 18, he makes matters worse. He, he says to them, for this reason they tried all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, 
but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. He was claiming to be God. This is red rag to a bull to these people. And then, then in verse 19, Jesus says, though, these people have come to Jesus as, as judge. They're judging him. Jesus is in the dock. And these judges are judging him for what he's done. And, and then in verse 19, he, Jesus turns it round. And the one who is being accused turns things around and begins to accuse them. He becomes the judge. And Jesus is saying, it's not me that's guilty, it's you guys. And Jesus turns the whole thing round so that at the end, they're the ones that are being accused. So, so let's come now to the passage. That's the setting. We're in the midst of this debate. Verse 31. It's the start of this passage and Jesus, having explained to them that he really is the Son of God, if you don't believe me, there are a bunch of witnesses. There is some evidence. And this passage is all about witnesses and testimonies. You might have picked it up in the reading, this word testimony, 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 testify, comes up again and again and again. Other versions use the word witness. It's as though Jesus gathers together in this law court, this, this group of, of, of witnesses to say, yes, I am, he is the Son of God. And, and that's what we have in the beginning of this passage. Jesus, in verse 31, begins to tell these Jewish leaders that, that he really is the Son of God. And in verse 31, 31 is a difficult verse to explain. I'll come back to that a little bit later on. But basically what Jesus is saying, don't just take my word for it, but listen to these other people that bring evidence to you. So... <coughs> The first witness that Jesus brings forward is John the Baptist. There it is in verses 33 to 35. Read it together. You have sent to John, that's John the Baptist, and he has testified to the truth, not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. John the Baptist was a big gun at that time. He caused a stir like there hadn't been a stir for hundreds, perhaps thousands of years. John was this strange, old-school, prophet-like guy who was in the wilderness preaching repentance, saying the most incredible thing, you brood of vipers, who's brought you out here? And he was baptising them. And what, Jesus, what John's message was, was that you need to get ready because the Messiah is coming. And, and, and that, that was his ministry. He was preparing the way for the Lord. In, in the first chapter of John, we, we see that. And these leaders would have, have already sent to John. And who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? Are you the Christ? They, they've got hold of John. And Jesus is saying, there's a witness. John witnessed that I am the Christ. And, and in John chapter 1, we read it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, who was Jesus, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. Witness number one was John. And then in John chapter 1 verse 34, John himself said, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Witness number one, John the Baptist. Guys, leaders, listen to John. He is a witness sent by God and he has said 
that this is the one. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Second witness that Jesus brings in this law court to these people. Verse 36, just, just work your way down there. Jesus says, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. The works here are the miracles that Jesus is doing, has done, will continue to do. And what Jesus is saying to these leaders, the works that I'm doing testify, they witness that I really am the Son of God. When Nicodemus went to Jesus, Nicodemus was one of these leaders, but something was stirring in Nicodemus' heart in John chapter 3, and he went to Jesus at night because he wanted to question him. The other leaders were saying, this guy is a menace. He needs to be put down. But something was working in Nicodemus's heart. We have that lovely John chapter 3. Nicodemus goes to speak with Jesus. He said, nobody but somebody sent from God could do the works that you're doing. Nicodemus was, was aware of the witnesses of the works. It has to be somebody from God that is doing these things. The healing at the pool. It wasn't some kind of something hidden away. It was clear for everyone to see. And there are going to be more works and more witnesses. And Jesus is saying to these leaders, are you blind? Can't you see? These works are witnesses of who I am. Then in verses 37, Jesus calls another witness. And the Father who sent me has himself testified. The Father is a witness. The Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. So the third witness is the Father. The Father witnesses. Now, the Father witnessed at Jesus' baptism. When, when, when John was there baptizing Jesus, that voice came from heaven. This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. The witness of the Father. But also the witness of the Father in the word. God speaks through his word. The Father has witnessed again and again and again that a Messiah will come and will, 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 he's going to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Father has witnessed. And, and Jesus is saying to these people, you know the scriptures. You heard the testimony about my baptism. The voice came from heaven. This is my son. The Father himself has witnessed that I am who I say I am. The fourth witness in verse 39. Look at it there, 39. He's saying to these leaders, you study the scriptures. Literally, you pour over the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The scriptures themselves. We know at Christmas time, we dig in the Old Testament and there's these lovely verses in Micah and Isaiah. Right the way from Genesis, right the way through. The scriptures testify about Jesus. They are the witness that Jesus calls to bear witness. And he, said, he reminds these leaders, you pour over these scriptures. You love the scriptures. You think that in them you have eternal life. But what do the scriptures do? They point to me. That's what's happening. 
The fourth witness, that's the fourth witness, the the fifth and the final witness that Jesus calls before these leaders is Moses. Now these were, were men of Moses. We'll see from John's Gospel and the other Gospels. They were proud of their heritage. Moses was on the first pedestal of their life. They loved Moses. And then here we have in verse 45 at the end, Jesus is bringing his defence almost to an end and he says, do not think that I will accuse you. Here is the, here is the, the accused turning to be the judge. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Interesting, in in, in the first chapter of John, when Jesus is gathering his disciples together, we have that lovely discourse of of the various fishermen coming together. And we have in in John chapter 1, verses 5, he said, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found the one Moses wrote about. Philip Nathaniel were able to see, they could see that Moses wrote about this one. So, Jesus is always saying, come on you Jewish leaders, this is compelling and convincing evidence that Jesus really is who he claims to be. So, so that's the first reason why they should believe in Jesus. If you look on our notes there, our title is called, Why Believe in Jesus? The first one is, believe because the evidence is convincing. The second reason we come to, and this is one that much more applies to us, why believe? Because it leads to life. Look at verse 40 there, verse 40. Jesus again is speaking to these leaders and they say, these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. It's not the scriptures that bring you life, it's me the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that's going to bring you life. Why believe? (coughs) Because it leads to life. Life is a massive theme in John's Gospel. If you read through John's Gospel and take that word life and eternal life, it crops up again and again and again. It's the reason why it was written. That, that we're going to keep coming back to, back to this as we go through the Gospel of John in chapter 20, verse 31. John says, the reason I wrote this Gospel is, 31, these words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Belief in Christ leads to life. That's what John is saying. As you, as God's people today, work your way through John, so so grows, with the Spirit's help, this conviction that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And it leads and points you to believe in him. And then when you do believe in him, you have life in his name. It's the glorious thing, the Gospel of John. It's the reason why Jesus came. Why did Jesus come? to make the world a better place, to kind of set himself as an example of, of to how humanity should be. Again, in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The old version, I have come that they might have life and have it in abundance. Jesus has come that we might have life and have it life in all its fullness. Go back again to our passage to verses 39 
and 40. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. So, what is this life that the Jewish leaders were literally refusing to have? You refuse to come to me that you might have life. It's eternal life. It's the life that, he, that John speaks about in his letter. Listen to this, John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. This life that Jesus comes to bring is not a kind of better kind of life, like a turbo boost on on normal life to make our present lot improved or better. It does do that, but it's far more than that. It's a new life. It's an eternal life. It's a spiritual life. It's a life lived in a whole new realm. It's a heavenly life. Its source is heaven. We are born again into this life. It's eternal in length. It's eternal in depth. It's eternal in breadth. It's having the love of God dwelling in our hearts. It's having God dwell in our hearts. It's life in all its fullness. Who wouldn't want this life? This new life, this this forgiveness of God, this blessing of God. These leaders did not have that life. Verse 42 and 43 again. Jesus says, I know you. Jesus alone can say this. I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. Jesus comes in his Father's name. What he's saying there, I am God. Standing before you, you do not accept me. I know you. I know that you don't have the love of God in your heart. Jesus says that to us. He knows where we are. Sometimes we're a bit unsure as to where we stand. Sometimes we're overconfident and think we're Christians. We have the love of God in our hearts and we don't. And Jesus alone knows us. He knows where we are. And that is good. And sometimes we feel a bit agitated inside. Sometimes words like this can make us feel quite uncomfortable. You think, oh, am I really, am I really a Christian? That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to test your faith to make sure it's genuine. Because it is so important. It is the most important thing in your lives that you know and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have experienced and been born into that life that John is speaking about now. It's crucial that we do. So don't worry sometimes that your faith is being tested. Test it yourself. Test and examine yourself to see if you're in the faith, says the Apostle Paul. These leaders, these leaders, religious leaders, didn't have life. Nicodemus didn't have life when he came to Jesus. Hopefully, he did have life, and I'm sure he did in the end. John chapter 3, verse 36. John the Baptist is speaking. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son, like these leaders, will not see life. You refuse to come to me, verse 40, that you might have life. So, what is this life? It's eternal life. Third point, why didn't these Jewish leaders believe? It's 
the evidence is there. There's the offer of life, eternal life. Why didn't they believe? It seems crazy to those of us who are believers. What kept them from believing in Jesus? Because they had the evidence, because they had the, the, the they, they knowledge now that belief leads to, to life. Why then in the light of this didn't they believe? What is it that keeps people from not believing? You, you, we run our alpha courses, we put the evidence in front of people, we think, this, who would want to resist this? Yet people do. And again, this is Jesus explaining to us, there is unbelief in the human heart. Unbelief runs through John's Gospel. Not only is there, is there is this teaching of, of belief, but alongside that is unbelief. The unbelief of the leaders, but as we'll see from the next chapters too, the unbelief of the ordinary people. There is an unbelief that, that runs, that the human heart is, is hostile to God. We don't like to be told that, but it is. This, this, this unbelief dwells in the hearts of all people. This, this refusal to come to him. It's like an active force keeping us away from Christ. You come across it when you witness to people. Oh, don't tell me that rubbish. Even you give them the evidence, like Jesus is to these people. This is convincing, compelling evidence. And yet they're refusing to come to him. And Jesus exposes it in the hearts of these people. He's literally opening their hearts and he's showing them for what they are. They are anti-God, anti-Christ. In the leaders, he exposes them. John 3, verses 19 says, This is the verdict, this court case again. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by, by the truth comes into the light. There's a danger of coming into the light because your deeds will be exposed. The Holy Spirit, when he's leading us to Christ, one of the first things he does is convicts us of our sins. When, when there have been great revivals in this nation in previous centuries, one of the first things that happens is people are convicted of their sin. And, and they're in tears and they're feeling, what can I do? I, I need to be saved. And they come to the Saviour and they're saved. So what caused... Are you following me? Are we, are we yeah, following? Good. I don't want to, I'm, I'm getting carried away, but I don't want to lose you in, in what I'm saying. I want you, you to see and to follow this, this logical argument that Jesus is bringing. And I want, him to, I want you to listen that he's bringing these arguments to you too in the scripture. So what causes unbelief? Verse 42, they didn't have God's love in their hearts. There was something missing in their hearts. Whether it was a love for God or a love of God, that's not clear. But they didn't have God's love in their hearts. That prevented them from belief. There must be a work of God in our hearts before we can truly believe. Verse 43, they didn't accept Jesus. Rather, in verse 40, they refused to come to him. Verse 44, and here is the key, they sought praise from man rather than praise from God. These guys love to walk in the marketplace. Jesus says that later on. You love to walk in the marketplace. You love to have people bow to you and, and look up to you. you. You like the places of honour. These, these they love man praise rather than God praise. Often to become a believer in Christ is a humbling experience. Ah, you've got all religious, have you? It's like, 
I was, when I first became a Christian, I was, there was a degree of embarrassment there at the age of 21, but, but I felt compelled to tell others because I'd come to know this life that was really life. And yet there was also a degree of, oh, you've become more religious, have you? Even in my family. Oh no, Billy Graham, whatever it was, was there. And these people, they sought the praise of man rather than the praise of God. Pride lived and dwelt in their hearts. We read later on in John that even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. I find that utterly tragic, utterly sad that these religious leaders that should have known better, these religious leaders that poured over the scriptures, they still didn't believe in him. Finally, so what does it mean? If belief is so important, what does it mean to believe? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Have you come to belief? Have you believed in the Son of God? Belief or faith in Jesus, it's not just a mental assent. It's not just a, a head knowledge, it's something more than that. To enter into this life requires faith, but it's what's, what the theologians call saving faith, a special kind of faith. Belief, that's what it is. It, it means to believe in the historical Jesus. Yes, we believe in the historical Jesus. We believe in his perfect life. We believe in his sacrificial death. And in his glorious re resurrection, we believe in the miracles, all those things. We believe in who he is and what he has done. Yes, we believe in our head, but saving faith is, is a work of the heart. It's a transaction between one person and God, or between God and that person. It's between God and our hearts. This transaction of faith goes on, and something happens within that transaction. It's the love of God coming to dwell in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It involves a total and an absolute and a joyful and a willing surrender of ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. It requires us to renounce sin. John the Baptist said, leave your lives of sin and turn and follow God. And it means turning to Christ in trust, in obedience, and then to walk in that path of life that is difficult, that is steep at times. And it's growing in that life. And it's it, like a baby. They don't start off a fully-fledged human being. They grow and they, they make a mess and they, they learn from that. That Hopefully, by the time they get to a good, ripe old age, they're fairly sensible and, and sane human beings. But the same with us in Christ. We grow and we deepen in our love of God. Christmas is coming up. Christmas is just around the corner. Christmas is a time of gifts. Why not seek the greatest gift of all? Life, eternal life in Jesus Christ. As Stephen reminded us, Christmas, the, the offer is for everyone. So is the offer of life in Christ. Seek the greatest of gifts. Do you know this life? Do you know this eternal life that, that Jesus is speaking of here? Do you know it in your hearts, personally? Many of you do. Absolutely. Some of you don't. So, Realise that, recognise it, humble yourself. I don't know this life. Do you want to know that, this life? Then there are plenty of people here. Philip will be happy to explain it to you. So will Tim or anybody that you know as a Christian. Even at the end of the service, if you feel that God, you want to come to know him in this way, come and pray with somebody at the front at the end of the service. It's very simple, it's not difficult. And brothers and sisters in Christ, I'll draw this to a close. 
Let us who know this life, let's live it. Let's live it to the full. Let's leave sinful things behind and let's go all out to to live for God, to serve God and to know this life that is truly life. So, I hope that we've been able to answer the question convincingly this morning. Why believe? Because of the weight of evidence and because it leads to life in all its fullness. Let's just close with a prayer. Let's pray Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. Let's pray together. Paul prays, I pray that out of his, that's God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And not just to grasp it, but to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Impossible, you may say, And it continues now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Christ Jesus throughout all generations, even our generation, forever and ever. Amen.